it's, uh, it's a big topic, isn't it? And uh, to know what happened at the beginning. Uh, and there's a story about uh, three, three people from three different professions who were discussing it and deciding which was the first profession to be there right at the beginning. There was a surgeon, an engineer and a politician discussing what was the first profession. Uh, mine was, said the surgeon, because uh, God surgically moved uh, a bone from Adam and made Eve. Not at all, said the engineer. Uh, an engineering job came before that. In the six days uh, when earth was created out of chaos, that was an engineer's job. Yes, said the politician, but who caused the chaos? Uh, at this moment in time, the whole chaos is uh, pretty much our political system, isn't it? It's pretty, uh, a pretty big situation. Uh, but the, the whole discussion about the beginning of the world isn't new, by the way. Uh, sometimes I think just because we sit in this time frame of history, we think that all the discussions that have happened have only happened now. But there's been a discussion that's happened since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of people has been the beginning of the discussion about the beginning of the world. Uh, and so it's been something that's been going on and they've been coming up with theories about how the world began from the beginning. Uh, and it's really important to know that actually your theory and understanding of the beginning isn't often just that it's out there, but it actually makes up how we live now. Because how we understand the, how the world was created and why it was created or how it came to be actually makes a whole lot of difference on how we treat others in the world, how we treat the world that we live in and how we live within it. So it's a really important thing for us to grasp hold of because it determines a whole lot about how we live. How we believe we got here or how we believe it begun actually impacts how we live. And that's been happening for years and so it's been debated all through the time. And so in the Bible what we have is uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we have what we believe is what God told to Moses about how the world began. And even at the time of Moses, when he was putting this together, he was writing this down because there were a whole lot of other people around them at the time, people of Israel around them, who had all these other ideas about how the world began. So God gave them how he said it began. And so what he's got in front of us in Genesis is Moses writing, being inspired by God, to tell us about how the world came into being, how the universe came into being. And it's written in a very similar way to how many other particular writings at the time were talking about how the world came into being. Because you see, actually, Genesis is, is in one sense to tell us how the world came into being, but actually it's an argument against how everyone else thinks the world came into being. And it's specifically an argument against how people at that time frame believe the world came into being. So it's what they call a polemic or an argument against other world views of how it began. And if you want to research, you can go back and actually find out of other nations and other people at that time who had very similar creation accounts. You have a look at our own Aboriginal people. They have a creation account too, don't they? They have an account that they believe how the world came into being. And just about every social nationality, people of the world have all had those. And so Genesis is actually given by God to Moses as an argument against the world of that time's view on how the world began. And so it's a polemic against that. And so it's actually written in a way so that it's understood well by them and an argument against them. And so we've got to realise that Genesis, as it is written today, is not an argument against Richard Dawkins or Charles Darwin. Though we can extrapolate and do that, but that's where we think it is, don't we? We say, OK, well, let's put 
Genesis specifically against Charles Darwin, against Richard Dawkins, but actually they're not supposed to be done that way. Uh, the argument in Genesis chapter 1 is actually an argument against the times of how the world was created. So therefore we need to remember that when we read it. And don't think that Genesis is going to have all the scientific evidence to have a go at Richard Dawkins or Charles Darwin. Now if God wanted to and he wanted to write that down, he could. Okay, But that's not how it's been written and it hasn't been written to do that. So when we read Genesis, we need to be careful to not try and make it say more than it says and not less than it says. Because the Genesis creation evolution argument hasn't just been an argument that's been out there between Christians and the world, but it's actually been an argument within Christian circles as well. And actually it's probably been one of the most divisive issues amongst Christians as well. So we need to be careful that we don't do that. Uh, We need to be careful that we make sure we read it well, understand it well, and understand what God is saying, not what we're making it try to say more than that. Uh, don't think that it's actually going to give us all the scientific evidence and all the molecule breakdown and the physics and the uh, mathematics and all that that's going to happen of how the world began, but it is going to tell us what God wants us to know about how it began and what God wants us to know about him and how we come to know him, how we come to love him and how we come to live for him. Because that's what the whole Bible's about and Genesis is one part of that. So we just need to keep that in framework in our mind when we come to look at it today because I think that in times gone past, uh, this issue uh, is a big issue in the world, yes, uh, but it's been a very divisive issue within the church as well. So we need to be praying for that, that we make sure we don't do that because I don't think that was God's intention, was it? It was actually God's intention to bring people together to show how he's made the world, put it together, how we can know him, how we can love him, and how we can live for him. So how about I pray, and then we're going to read Genesis chapter 1 together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is your inspired word. We thank you, Lord, that uh, as you have worked through people uh, and written down what you want us to know about you, we pray, Lord, that as we look at Genesis chapter 1 today, uh, that, Lord, we'll be open to how uh, what you have done, that we'll be open to what you have to say to us, Lord. And they'll be willing uh, to have your spirit do a work within us, Lord, uh, to bring us to our knees before you, to know you, to love you, to live for you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you open up your Bibles, we're going to have a look at uh, probably one of the major passages. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through to 5. We're going to have a look at John chapter 1 a little bit later as well. Uh, If you've got your Bibles open, you can have them open there. Or you can check it on the screen as well. Uh, Hamish, my son, we're going to be reading today. He got swapped by someone else to read, but he was also on creche and he was also on the door, so we can't split him three ways today. So I'm going to read it for you. So uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light... And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now you can keep reading uh, and go through that. We don't have time to do the rest of Genesis chapter 1 today but you can keep reading through it. Uh, And you'll see that Genesis chapter 1 is the big picture of how God made the world 
And then Genesis chapter 2 funnels down specifically on what he did with humans and animals and so forth. Uh, so Genesis 1 is this big picture. Genesis 2 fo- focuses down and then Genesis 3 goes bang and blows us into the world, which we'll not look at this week, but next week. Uh, and so uh, we need to look at Genesis chapter 1. If you read through it, you'll uh, notice that it is a great piece of writing. And it's not a science journal, is it? When you read Genesis chapter 1, it's a very, very pretty piece of writing, actually. Uh, if you notice it, you read it, it rhymes. It has repetition. It has movement. It's actually very, very poetic. Uh, and that's another reason why we need to think about how we interpret Genesis chapter 1 as well. Uh, because we need to understand the type of writing that it is. And it's a writing that it gives us the big picture in a very poetic form. And so we need to be careful that we don't make it say more than it says or less than it says, doesn't it? Poems contain truth and reveal truth, but they do it in a different way to what a science textbook does, doesn't it? So we need to keep that in mind as we look through it this morning as well. Uh, So let's have a look at it. The big one is right there in the first part, isn't it? It said, uh, we'll jump that one. Uh, Right at the beginning, God created the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. As we heard last week, God was in the beginning. He was before time, wasn't he? What we understand as time is only because God made time. We can only understand that because we've only ever lived inside of time. We can't understand outside of time because we've never been there. But the Bible tells us that God was in the beginning, before time, before it even beginning. He was the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end and he sits outside that. And so the Bible tells us that what began everything, what started everything was God. He began it. He made it. It was him who did it. And God did it out of nothing. Uh, There was nothing before, but there is something once God created. He speaks and it happens. He created something out of nothing. I like this little equation to think about it. It was God plus nothing equals everything. You might think, man, that's pretty hard to understand, isn't it? Well, look at this one. Nothing plus nothing equals everything. Which one of those is harder to believe in? It's interesting, isn't it? If you went from an evolutionary point of view, you have to say there was nothing uh, plus nothing gave us everything that we have here. That doesn't work out mathematically. Whereas what the Bible says is God started. God plus nothing. He created out of nothing everything. Now, don't get me wrong, none of us were actually, even though we said the Bible does talk about God having us in our plan for the beginning, but none of us were there in the beginning, were we? None of us stood there and saw that, okay? And no one's done that. So in one sense, we've all got to take a leap of faith, don't we? And we've got to believe whether we believe that or not. But can I say that I think God plus nothing equals everything holds a whole lot more than nothing plus nothing equals everything. I think I can put more faith in that than in the, than the other one. And because I believe the Bible is God's word, I believe that's what he says and that's what happened. God said it and it happened. You see, God spoke and that's what began. God spoke and it happened. God's powerful word is what created everything. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Have you ever tried to speak anything into existence? Come outside later. God, I want a Lamborghini. No, it doesn't work, does it? Now, Lamborghini's pretty impressive. It's a bit complicated. Maybe I should just go for a rock. 
God, I want a rock. Can't do it, can we? We cannot do that. We cannot speak into nothing and make something. But God is all-powerful and almighty and he speaks and it happens. And we actually find out from uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, that how he does that is through Jesus. Jesus is his operating system, in a sense. His word is Jesus. John 1, verses 1 to 4 says this, In the beginning the word was... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And he goes on in the rest of John there, and he says that light is Jesus. That Word is Jesus. The powerful force that God uses to create the world is Jesus. When he speaks, it's Jesus in action. And he creates the world. He creates it out of nothing, into everything, and he does that as he speaks through Jesus. And not only that, but he sustains it all, doesn't he? He holds it all in his hands. So it says in the end of chapter verse 4, there wasn't it? He holds it all in his hands. If you want to go to Colossians chapter 1, you'll see that everything that is is held together in his hands. If Jesus took his hand off this creation, this universe, for one millisecond, boom, completely gone. That's how powerful he is. That's how amazing he is. God is all-powerful, creates everything from nothing as he speaks into the world. And then not only does he speak into the world, but he sustains the world. He keeps it going. He keeps it as it is. Uh, From the beginning, he, he enables it all to happen from there on. Whatever view you have of the creation at the beginning, God keeps it going. Whatever view of how we ended up like we are now, or how all the animals end up like they had now, is that God sustains it. He kept it going. He was the one that made it happen. He's the one that kept it going. He's the all-powerful who made it right from the beginning. That's how great our God is, isn't it? I'm going to talk a little bit at the end about what are some of the implications of that for you and I, uh, but we'll just keep moving for the moment. Uh, not only that, though, but if you notice that this was formless... And then God provided form, didn't he? He actually starts to make something out of it. So in day one, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Starts to put a bit of shape to this universe he's made. And then day two, sky and water. Then day three, dry land and plant life. So he starts to actually make form out of formless. But then he actually he fills it. So he creates it, and then he fills it. Do you notice the symmetry that he does with it? Have a look what he does. In day one... Light, he says, let there's light. There's there. Then he fills it on day four with sun, moon and stars. Day two, uh, sky and water, he creates. And then day five, he fills it with birds and fish. Day three, dry land, plant life. Day six, land, animals and man. It's formless. He brings it into form and then he fills it. It's a beautiful symmetry, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of how God has created this and he's got it and he's designed it and he's filled it and he makes it all operate and he makes it all work. That's an amazing God, isn't it? And what does he say at the end of every day, or not even at the end of every day, but within it? There's a word he says continually. That's right. It's all good, isn't it? It's all God. 
He says after day one it's good, after day two it's good, after day three it's good, that's good. And at the end of day six it says it's very good. And it is, isn't it? If you look at this world that we are in, it is a phenomenon, isn't it? Some of the pictures of the Hubble telescope that we saw that Lynn showed before, a phenomenal picture of what this world, the beauty that is in this world. And you know what it means? If God said it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good, what that means is that there is nothing in this world that is intrinsically evil. You need to think about that. There is nothing in this world that is intrinsically evil. Everything that God has created, he said, was good. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later because I think that has a big bearing on how we live in this world. Because if you have a different view of how the world came about, if it is just nothing from nothing, then there is no intrinsic value in anything. But there is intrinsic value in everything if God made it all good. Now, I didn't tell you that, but there's chapter 3, isn't there, in the Bible? And in chapter 3, sin enters this world and it becomes broken. And so sin impacts you, me, creation, the universe. And so there is badness. And that badness corrupts what's going on around. But within that, there is still the image of God and God has still created everything good. It is still intrinsically good. It is sin that makes it evil, not the creation itself that makes it evil. Keep that in mind for a little bit later because that makes a big difference on how we live in this world. And it's all good. He's made it. And it is beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that a gorgeous flower? I mean, it hits my feminine side maybe, but it hits every side, doesn't it? You don't have to be feminine to enjoy flowers. Uh, some kids brought a bunch of flowers to 18's, 18th birth, Hamish's 18th birthday party. They were boys who brought them to him. And I thought, that is beautiful. That's lovely. I'm not sure whether Hamish liked it, but I thought it was good. Uh, but it, it's intricate, isn't it? It is intricate. It is beautifully put together. You look at that and you say, there is design in that. The eye. There is hardly anything more complex in the world than the eye, and it is beautiful. And it is good. And you can't have one bit of the eye developing without the whole bit developing. You cannot actually have evolution in the eye. It has to all be at once. It is gorgeous. And what about the seasons? Why do you think we have four seasons? Even in the northern rivers, we still feel the cold sometimes, don't we? It is a phenomenal thing. Not just that we have these intricate things, but actually our world spins on an axis that is exactly the right degree so that we get four seasons, so that we get growth, so that we get decay, so that the world can actually operate, so that things do grow. It is beautiful. It is good, isn't it? It is gorgeous. And God made it, he said. He did it. There is absolutely amazing design in what God has done. I don't know whether you know what this is. Does anyone know what it is? It's a spider. 
Does anyone know what type of spider it is? No, a black widow. Yeah, it looks pretty ugly, doesn't it? It looks a bit black widow, isn't it? No, it's, uh, this is called the European water spider. And what he is, this European water spider, is, he's inside his house there and that's a bubble of air. And he lives in that and he eats out of that and he lives in that and he mates in that and they grow out of that. Uh, but how they make that bubble is this spider goes up to the top of the, the water, turns his back up into the air and out of the back of his uh, back he's got these little holes that he blows up into the air and he blows water and he makes a bubble off the top of his back. And then he flips over and he curdles that bubble, he holds it and then he goes down to the bottom, he gets in between the grass and he puts it in there and then he goes back up again. Blows another bubble, puts his arms around it and then takes it back down again and then that's where he makes his home. That is crazy, isn't it? That's amazing. How do you reckon he learnt that? Oh, one day he just jumped in the water and thought, oh, I'm going to blow a bubble here. Woohoo! Yeah, that works. Man, he drowned, wouldn't he? How did he get the holes on his back? Oh, I'm going to jump in this time, I drown, I'll come back out. He can't come back out. His mate sees it. Oh, I'm going to punch myself with a few holes in the top of the thing so I can blow a bubble to do it. How did he do that? It's amazing, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I actually quite like David Attenborough. I love his movies. I love, you watch it, and the intricacy and his cameras and he gets in there and he looks at it and he talks about the beauty of everything. He looks and he sees how it's designed. He almost says, and he says design, he says how it looks, look how they do this. Whatever. And then he says, over six billion years, this thing has evolved into this amazing, you think, David, it's beautiful, but really, do you think that's what happened? And he does. But to me, I look at that and go, wow, that is design. There's an intellect behind that. God has made that. It is beautiful. It is good, as God said. Well, the reason we've done a little bit quicker on other parts of this morning is because I've got a 13-minute slot now that you're going to watch a movie or part of a movie. And uh, this is a video that... Amazing. You know, God's pretty random, isn't he? Nothing works together. But just uh, the other day, that's the opposite I mean by that. Uh, the other day I was up at Ron and Jane's place just a week ago and they said, oh, look, Paul, you should watch this. I got this off, I think, their son. They said, it's, it's really good. And uh, I thought, oh, yeah, we'll have a look at it. And I watched it and it is really good. Uh, and I watched it this week and this week I'm doing Creation Evolution. And this week this is the video that I get in my hand that has this section and I think, God of design, isn't it? How did I end up with that video at that point in time? Now, we're not going to play the whole video. It goes for about 30 minutes. Uh, and it's pretty punchy and it's pretty uh, edgy at the end. But this little section, I, I have to play 13 minutes of it for you because it, it sort of rounds out what I want, to, want you to get out of this this morning. And it, what I'm doing is, if you've got any questions, uh, if you have been thinking that I'm on the evolutionary path uh, without a God involved, if I'm the evolutionary path, then this throws some real questions at you. Uh, if you are thinking about God involved and the creation, then it actually gives you some stuff to actually hold on to and ask questions of people who do believe in evolution, some hard questions. Because I don't know about you, but just about every television show and everyone on TV, to agree, assumes that it's correct. And that's the problem, is just about everybody assumes. Very few people have facts, and actually no one has complete facts because no one was there in the beginning 
So have a watch. Uh, it's, even though it seems like it's 30 minutes, it goes very quickly. And then I'm going to bring a couple of things after that and then wrap it up at the end. atheist? I am definitely an atheist, yes. And why are you an atheist? Why am I an atheist? Because there is no God. Atheism assumes that you can disprove the existence of a God. Uh, agnostic is a more correct term, but I'm an atheist. Are you an atheist? Uh, yeah. I am an atheist, yeah. I am, yes. I am. So you're not an atheist? Uh, no. So you're leaning that way because of evolution? Yeah. I don't believe in the there's a guy in the sky that lives in the sky. You believe in evolution? Of course I do, yes. Live science says of Darwinian evolution. It can turn dinosaurs into birds, apes into humans, and amphibious mammals into whales. What Darwin showed in his work on evolution and natural selection is that we don't need to invoke any supernatural force or power to account for the development of life through time on Earth. The ongoing processes that, that are observable in today's world. You think it's a belief? I think it's just fact. I think more like facts. There is too much evidence to ignore. Do you think it's a belief? No, it's science. It's the way it happened. It's logical. You know, all the scientists pretty much agree with it. It's, it's more of a fact. When did you start to believe? Um, when I started to think for myself. When did you start believing? Uh, when I took my first biology class. It all started to make a lot of sense. The teacher made it very, very easy to understand. I generally trust the scientific community. It makes more sense than any religion or anything. The fossils they found of all the, all the cavemen, the homo sapiens, the dinosaurs, it shows clear evidence. I believe in science. What's your major here at this university? Biology. You're a biology major? Yeah. You believe in evolution? Yes. What's your major? Geology. Chemistry? Biochemistry. Environmental science and policy. I'm a physicist. Biochemistry. Okay, do you believe in evolution? Uh, yes, I do. Do you believe in evolution? Yes, I do. Of course. Yes, I do. I do believe in evolution. You believe in evolution? Yes. Are you a strong believer? Yes. Are you a strong believer? Yep. Uh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. A scientific method is based on the collection of data through observation and experimentation. Science Daily. Could you give me some observable evidence that evolution is true? Uh, something I don't have to uh, receive by faith. Yeah. Some observable evidence. I mean, take a look at what happened 65 million years ago. Hang on, I can't. That's 65 million years ago. I believe, yeah, millions of years. So that can't be observed. We can trace the evolution through the fossil record. Could you be specific? Just give me one. Um, uh, between six and seven million years ago. Hundreds of thousands to millions of years? So it's quite a long time. Yes. Millions of years. Yes. So it can't be observed. Evolution is, is not testable over time. We are condemned to live only for a few decades. And that's too slow, too small a time scale to see evolution going on. Richard Dawkins. We see nothing of these slow changes in progress until the hand of time has marked the lapse of ages. Charles Darwin. You've got the canine kind, the coyote, and the domestic dog, and there's the feline kind, which is the cats, the tiger and the kitten, and you've got humankind. So Darwin said there'd be a change of kinds over many years, so could you give me one example of 
observable evidence of a change of kind. So, for instance, the fossil record shows the common ancestors of all carnivores, that cats and dogs were once linked, once united by a common ancestor. How long ago? Uh, this, I believe, was like 60 million years ago. I don't want something I have to accept by faith. I want it to be observable. Observable evidence. Well, I mean, if you're just asking me here on the street, there's not really much I can tell you in terms of observable evidence. Like, we would have to really examine existing data to draw conclusions of our own. I would have to have faith then. We would have to have some amount of faith. Can you think of any observable evidence for Darwinian evolution? Where he said there'd be a change oh, like of kinds. A monkey to a man, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, a change of kinds. I don't really believe there's any proof for that yet. Wild monkeys are the only ones with the fifth digit, like we have. Well, koalas have a fifth digit. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Think we're evolved from koalas? No. And I went to, like, Washington, D.C. I saw the, they had a whole exhibit just on the... In the Smithsonian? Yeah, in the Smithsonian. Oh, wait, so that is just, like, some stuffed dummies, yeah. like, standing around a fire. I know that everyone talks about the missing link for humans and whatnot. I believe that there are connections that are out there that we haven't found yet. I'm going to trust what those experts did, those experts uh, came up with. I have a strong trust and evolutionary ideas based on the evidence presented. Can you think of any observable evidence for Darwinian evolution, a change of kinds? I haven't seen it myself, but I believe what the textbooks tell me about it, so... You've got faith in the experts? I have faith in the experts, yeah. I guess similar to how religious people have faith that God actually exists, I have faith in the experts knowing what they're talking about. The scientific method is, must be observable and repeatable, so could you give me one piece of observable evidence for Darwinian evolution? Okay, I would point to, as one great example is, look at the genetics of the stickleback. What's that? Uh, so stickleback fish are a very interesting collection of species that were recently isolated after the end of the Ice Age. What have they become? They're, they're various species of sticklebacks. They stayed as fish? Well, of course. Can you think of any observable evidence where there was a change of kinds? Fish. Human beings are still fish. Human beings are fish? Why, yes, of course they are. How long did that take? A couple of billions of years, millions. A couple of millions? How is that observable? It's not. We came out of the ground as a mammal, and one mammal created... Come out of the ground? Didn't we come out of the sea? Huh? Well, initially in the beginning, we came out of the ground and the sea after the great destruction of the... the... So do we have lungs or gills when we came out of the sea? You want to know something? Those that were in the sea, I guess, had gills, and those that were on land had lungs. But if we came out of the sea, we had you, gills in the sea. You want to know something? Who knows that when we came out of the sea or we came out, we evolved from mammals? So you don't know? Huh? Of course I don't know. I'm accepting that they did their science correctly. Could you give me an example of Darwinian evolution, not adaptation or speciation, but a change of kinds? <laughs> These are changes of kinds. They're still fish. They're distinctly different fish. We have thousands of examples. Give me, can say, you give me one? I can give you, I can give you thousands, just one. one. For instance, I would say, uh, look at Lenski's experiments of bacteria then. So what do the bacteria become? The bacteria are still bacteria, of course. So that's not Darwinian evolution. That's not a change of kinds, is it? It, it is a change, it is a change in the genetic makeup of the bacteria, which but is... still bacteria. So what do the bacteria become? Uh, a new kind of bacteria. It's still bacteria. There's no change of kinds. To summarize, the observable evidence that you give me for Darwinian evolution is bacteria becoming bacteria. No, it is bacteria acquiring new metabolic capabilities. You said before that 
There, are, there is lots of evidence for evolution. I just want one observable evidence for Darwinian evolution, yeah, no, just one. But I gave you some. You don't want Not some. I want one. Wait, you don't want that. That's I want one. Yes, I do. I'm pleading no, with you. You asked me to tell you. You asked me to tell you when I've watched one species evolve into another. Isn't that right? No, one kind into another. There's 14. Is it 14 different definitions of species? So I want a change of a kind. When you're talking about kinds or change in families, you're, you're actually talking about about macro evolution. You're talking about um, uh, changes on the level of that separate, say, cats from dogs. So could you give me any examples of Darwinian evolution? Well, when you say examples of that, then you have to sort of look at over a longer time frame. It has nothing to do with faith. Faith is something that I have to, unseen, I have to believe in. That's it, unseen. Look, right. do you believe evolution? Of course I do. Are you a believer in evolution? Yes, I am. When did you start to believe evolution? I started to believe evolution when I started to think out for myself. Is evolution a belief? Evolution... Evo well, you know something, evolution is a is a thought process. This is coming to terms and and, and checking out all the all the alternatives, like uh, taking a look at the the religion, man-made religions. Let me ask you again: Is evolution a belief? No, evolution is. Well, yeah, in a, in a word, yeah, I could say it, it could be a belief. When you say change of kinds, you mean the evolution of one species from another or to another? Yes, we have that in action actually in the Galapagos. Could you give me one instance? Yes, we have an example from a group of birds called Darwin's finches. You take a look at the difference between the finches on the islands that all started out. I mean, that's very, very observed. But that's not Darwinian evolution. There's been no change of kinds. What did the finches become? They become genetically new and anatomically new, recognizably different species. So they're still finches? Well, of course they're still finches, yes. So they're not a change of, there's no change of kind. Little birds that he, uh, that he had observed that... Oh, what did they become? Um... Their beaks, their beak shapes. They're their still colors. birds. Yes, three finches that turn into different types of birds. Based They're on still the finches. Well, for example, Darwin and, and his study on evolution of the birds on the island that he went on to there. Their beaks changed? Their beaks. Uh, They're still birds. There's no change of kinds. That's within the kind. It's evolution on the beaks. That's so that's called adaptation. It's not Darwinian evolution. There's no change of kinds. There's no different animal involved. I want something that shows me Darwin's belief and a change of kinds is scientific. Darwin spoke of a change of kind. Can you think of any observable evidence for Darwinian evolution where there's a change of kind? Uh, change of kind. Change of kind. Uh, I'm going to have to think about that one a little longer. You give me anything that I can see, observe, and test, which is a scientific method for Darwinian evolution, a change of kinds. Test and observe. Could you give me observable evidence, which is a scientific method for Darwinian evolution, a change of kinds? So you want the evidence of it? I would say... I cannot, I think. Uh, 
So Darwinian evolution is not observable. It's not scientific. I guess so. So it's unscientific. You can't prove it. It's scientific, actually. You could prove it. It could be proven. Just do it for me. Ah, that's hard. I don't got. I don't. It's just. That's just too broad of a. Of it's unobservable. That's why you need millions of years. Yes, exactly. Well, you're trusting the biology majors and the biology professors know what they're talking about, yeah, and, and they can't even give me a. They can't even give me evidence of a change of kinds. Well, I'm. Well, then there isn't one. If they don't give it, then I don't. I wouldn't say there was. Yeah. I just go on what I've seen and what I've learned from. Class. So you believe? Yeah. You know what that's called? What? Blind faith. Blind faith. <laughs> faith is the great copper, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Richard Dawkins. Do you believe in intelligent design? It goes on and those like backwards and forwards and so forth. And it's worth watching if you want to get a hold of the DVD and see where it gets to in the end. Um, and it's hard, you know. I mean, they're people doing the DVD have got a particular agenda, so they're asking questions at a particular time. But, but I think it's pretty clear that there's a couple of things you can get from it, isn't there? I think the three things I got from it is that if you want to prove evolution, then the scientific method is that you need to have real observable evidence. No one was there in the beginning. So they can't. So they've got to go on what they can place together goes down the track. And, and the, the hard thing is that you, just, you can't have any evidence. There is no evidence. The fossil records don't give us evidence of change of kinds, which is the key thing. There is no evidence of change of kind. There is evidence of change of species. There is evidence in what they call microevolution, of where there has been adaptations and changes across the species. And you have got fossil records for that. Uh, they can say that. But they have nothing that says that there has been a change of kind from one species to a completely different kind. So one kind of thing, so not, it's not speciesism. You have changes within species, but change from a bird to human or fish to human, as that guy said, that we're all fish. There is no evidence for it. And who do you believe? The experts, as they say. The scientists, they say. I just want to put that out there for you just to have a couple things because sometimes I think we're on the back foot. Uh, sometimes as Christians we think we've got a back, you know, we're on the back foot because everything's against us and they think that we've got no evidence. And sometimes trying to get into the evidence and trying to get into the, the real, like, the real difficult, in a sense, science of trying to work out the, the molecular structure and all that sort of stuff, it's actually quite hard to argue with anyone who's on that level. But we don't need to be on that level because if you step back to the level of this level, which are just the basic questions, there are no answers to it from an evolutionary position. 
real observable evidence. We don't have it. Uh, changes in kind. We don't have it. So what have we got? You've got a belief. You've got a faith. You have a faith in evolution. That's what you've got. You don't actually have a scientifically proven fact here at all. You have a faith in, a belief in. Well, I have a belief in that that's not true and my belief is in that God did it and I can give you some evidence for that and to work on that. It's just in a sense to try and break or crumble a little bit uh, the foundation that evolution seems to have had on our society to say that it's rock solid and unbreakable, whereas actually it's a sieve with lots and lots of holes in it. But people don't want to actually go there because that causes the whole thing. So suddenly you have to make there's another, there's going to be another reason. There's going to be another something behind it. And what does God say? In the beginning, God created the world. He spoke, it happened, everything from nothing with his powerful word. It's designed, it's perfect, it's good. And let me just quickly go through for you because uh, one of the big things, uh, I think from a Christian perspective, we can, uh, we can hold our own in the evolutionary debate. Uh, and I think those three things are really helpful in that. Uh, but within it, we can go and take people and say, well, look at the world and look how designed. It does look like someone's had a hand in it, doesn't it? Uh, but then within that, uh, Christians, uh, we would say, well, okay, we believe God created, we believe he that made it. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, we believe and we trust in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, but then within Christians, there's a, there's a number of other views that people have across that too and how they interpret Genesis 1. And Genesis 2. So I'm just going to quickly run through three different perspectives on this. And I want to say to you, first and foremost, right at the beginning, some very, very reputable, trustworthy, Bible-believing, solid Christians believe in all three of these. Okay? So before we start to take the moral high ground and say, but no, only those who are here, I don't want us to go there. Okay? Because we can, I could get people from each side, particularly, come in and solidly believe and trust in Jesus Christ, who believe in the Bible as being true, who hold these three positions. Now, I'm going to tell you that two of them hold stronger than one, but three, they hold that. And can I say to you, try and show me from the Bible where Jesus says, you have to believe in a particular understanding of creation to be in heaven. He doesn't, does he? What does Jesus say? You need to trust and believe in me. That's how you have eternity. He'll help us understand what we think about Genesis chapter 1, but he doesn't say you have to believe in a particular understanding of Genesis chapter 1 to be saved. So please, can I say to you, there are lots of people who will go on... I've had lots of discussions with people and some people are no longer uh, been, in a sense, in fellowship with me at different times because they've held one particular view and thought that I can't have... think that others are, are possible. And that's very sad. And churches have been split over this. So please, what I'm saying to you, we need to be gracious and none of us have got the moral high ground here. But we do need to think it through and you need to come to an understanding yourself. And I'd encourage you to do that. And I will encourage you to hold truly to that one that you hold on to and believe it, okay? Uh, But just remember where it sits in the hierarchy of everything, okay? So there's three views, all right? Uh, The first one is called theistic evolution. Theistic evolution says that God started right from the beginning, uh, the Big Bang, there was nothing before, God began the Big Bang and it's happened out from there on and God's been the one who has actually guided and directed that all the way through history. 
Okay, but with regards to how evolution operates, they would believe that basically things have developed, have moved out of possibly slime plus time. They might even believe that that it's happened that way and we've got to where we are now. But God has been the one that has been directing that all the way through. So that means what they believe, it's a really long period of time. They could go for 60 billion years. They could believe that and think that at some point in time, the way they think humans came about uh, was that at one point in time, God stepped into this creation that he made and he gave souls to a particular couple, Adam and Eve, and that's where it began. The humankind began there and then it has gone from there. Okay? Now, can I say that holds a very uh, less uh, literal and less solid grounding in the Bible and less solid in Genesis 1 to 3? But can I say I know some really solid Christians who believe that? I personally don't, but I know some very solid Christians who do. Okay? So that's one. It's called theistic evolution. Uh, next one is called young earth creationism or literal creationism. And you've probably heard of this one because... If you get any of the arguments that are in America and they want to have a go at Christians for what they believe, they have a go at these guys. Okay? They'll nail these. This is, this is who they'll aim at. They won't aim at theist evolutionists and they won't aim at the third ones that I'm about to tell you about either. But they'll aim at these guys because they think they've got enough evidence to knock these guys out. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, if you believe this and trust in this one, hold to it. Okay? Uh, they still can't knock you out. Right, but that's where they'll go because what the people in the young earth, literal creationism, hold firmly to a literal six-day, 24-hour period that God created things and that basically the earth is somewhere between 6,000 and 12,000 years old and uh, that Adam and Eve uh, began about somewhere in that time frame and then the world has developed from there. They've worked that out by going back through genealogies in the Bible and they work it from that point. Now, they guys who believe this and trust in this have got people who've got doctorates, who have worked hard at, who are scientists, who have worked really hard at trying to see all evidence, and they believe and they hold to this very solidly. And they hold it, and they have a very solid view of the Bible and very solid view of Genesis chapter one. Uh, and so that's where they sit in that one. Okay. Um, if you've ever read the Creation magazine or it used to be called Ex Nilo, uh, Creation Ministries, these guys will be solid on this. Young Earth Creationism, literal six days. Okay? Ooh, there it goes. Uh, progressive Creation. Now, progressive creation guys are, are people who will hold the Bible as literally truth, hold the Genesis chapter 1 as being uh, there and being true, but will see Genesis chapter 1 more as a polemic, as an argument against other religions at the time, and see it being more as uh, not specifically a scientific 24-hour period day. Days could be longer. Uh, the Bible says to God a day is a, day is a, is a thousand years. A day, the, the word yom that is used in Genesis chapter 1, I have listened to people who have argued for it to be a 24-hour period and I think that's pretty convincing. I've had argue it, both a Hebrew expert argue for a 24-hour period. I've heard a Hebrew expert argue that it's a period of time. Both of them are very convincing. But progressive creationists say that there could be a long period of time in that. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 between verse 1 and 2, they say there could be a long period of time between that as well and then it could be long periods of time between... Uh, the days and so there, there in a sense could be uh, a room for evolution in some form but neither the literal creationists or the progressive creationists agree in macro evolution the guy up there on the set macro evolution is where there's change of kind 
Okay? The eistic evolutionists would, wouldn't have a problem with macroevolution. They say God, that God worked it. But whereas uh, the two other ones, literal and progressive, would say, no, 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 there's no changes of kinds, uh, it's only adaptation. So there's microevolution. So there's, there can, there's tweaks that can go on. There can be adaptation to things that happen through that time. But God's in, in control of that and he does that as well. So there's three views. Uh, you can ask me later which one I think it is. I particularly have my view, but you can have your view. And I'd encourage you to think it through. And I'd encourage you to, to work through how you understand the Bible and think it through and, and come together and come up with your own decision on it. Uh, but at the same time, I think we need to realise that Genesis chapter 1 to 3 and chapters 1 to 2 is not specifically there to tell us how it exactly happened on the, micro, on the really intricate level, but it is to tell us on the big level that God did it. And I think there's some implications that we can have for that and I'm going to run through these pretty quickly for you. Uh, this, is what I, this, is a th- this is my position on it. Okay, in one sense. Uh, pulling it all together, we would state that we believe that God created the universe out of nothing by his word through Jesus in an orderly fashion, being a literal six days or over a long period of time, than that he keeps it going, it was good, that his creation points to him and it was all for his glory. Now that's my position. And that's my position after what I've gone through and thought about and I'm happy for you to discuss that with me at any time. More than happy to do that. But that's what I believe is how the Bible puts it to us. Because I think the big aim of Genesis 1 to 2 is to tell us more about who God is, how we can know him, how we can love him, and how we can live for him. And I think that's where the implications really come for us. God did it all. And God made it all. God made everything. The earth is the Lord and everything in it is his If God made it all, he owns it all. It is his to do with it how he wants to do with it. We are all, in a sense, clay in his hands. Nothing we have isn't apart from him. If God has made it, he owns it. He's the king. He's the ruler. And our lives need to come under him, don't they? Everything we have is only because of him. And everything in creation points to how good God is, to his glory. Uh, Ephesians, we've been looking through last term, didn't we? It says, all things have been made to the glory of God. Everything is to show how great and marvellous and wonderful he is. And when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, you can't but sit back and go, wow, God is amazing. He is wonderful. He is good. And I think this is a really important one. If God made it, and everything is good, then everything has value. Everything has value. Bird the created world, bird the dirt, bird the grass, bird the trees, bird the whatever. Everything has value. And everyone has value. That's a really important point. Everyone has value. There is no place for racism if we believe in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, if we believe God created the world, there is no place for it. There is no place to think that one certain group of people is more superior than another. But if you take the evolutionary role, then you can actually justify that because you are more highly evolved than someone else. You can rightly decide, well, therefore I can wipe out another group of people because they're not 
as good as anyone else. Think about that. You can actually treat anyone the way you want to treat them because in the end, it's survival of the fittest. Now, you'll only treat them well if it's going to help you survive. It's not that they're intrinsically valued. It's because they help you. I think it's a really big one for us to think about and to hold on to. And the other thing is science is good. You know, sometimes people in science think, oh, Christians, I don't want to get into science. Well, no, we want to get into science because God is a God who has created order. He's formed it. He's placed it. He's put it together. And we should be able to test it. We should be able to look at it. We should be able to get into it. We should be able to be amazed at it. We should be having people who are Christians in all areas of science because you can observe it. If you can observe something, that's one of the tests. It? Observable and provable. Well, you can only observe and provable stuff because if it's designed, really, because ultimately they'll have logical ends to things. There'll be order in it. If it's just chaos, then there's no order in it. But if God has made it, then there's order to all things. So we should be able to get into science, shouldn't we? It should be something that we should enjoy being part of if that's your area of expertise. We shouldn't shy away from it and we shouldn't see it as evil. It's good. But I think the big thing about all of it is we believe that God is the one who has put this world together, who has made it, who has created it, who sustains it, who keeps it, who has ultimately provided us salvation in Jesus, then it's got to end up with praise and being dependent. Because we do not control things. We are not the rules. You see, it's not ethnocentric, this world this universe is not human centric it is God centric God is the one that holds it together and nothing is apart from him that means you and I are nothing apart from him it's got to drive us to our knees doesn't it it's got to drive us to praise and dependence upon him the God who has lovingly created all so that we can know him, so that we can love him, so that we can live for him. That is a God to be praised, isn't it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, that's a huge topic again we've just touched this week and we've only scratched the surface in some ways, but as we scratch the surface, Lord, we see you. We see your hand at work your power at work in creating this world, Lord. Your power at work at sustaining and keeping this world. And keeping us. Lord, we pray that you may give us trust and confidence in that. To know you, Lord, are at the centre of everything. Because nothing is than apart from you. You are the one that has created everything, Lord. And nothing has its being apart from you. And in your love for us, Lord, you stepped into this creation of yours and your son, Jesus. And you call us into relationship with you forever with him. You are an amazing, powerful, glorious, loving God, Lord. And we want to praise you for that now in Jesus' name. Amen.